Peter is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And here's the reason why. Because he is deeply flawed, right? He's deeply flawed, used in incredible ways by God, but deeply flawed. And this gives me encouragement. You want to know why? Because I'm deeply flawed. Anybody in here can relate to that? Yeah. And so it's great when you can see a hero of the faith struggle at times in the same way that you do. Think about the incredible up and down ministry of Peter. He has the faith to get out of the boat and walk on water in Matthew chapter 14, right? And yet, as he's walking on the water, he begins to doubt. I think all of my doubt would have been resolved the moment I stepped out of the boat and my foot hit the water and I'm walking on it like it's a road. And yet, he becomes fearful, and in his fear, he begins to sink. So a positive and a negative. He shows incredible passion by defending the Lord when the soldiers come to arrest him. And then, not a couple of chapters later, he's denying Christ three times. He passionately proclaims the gospel in Acts. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 41, one of the most incredible sermons in the history of the world. But he's also concerned what Jewish Christians will think about him when they see him eating with Gentile Christians in the book of Galatians. So when I sit down and I read a letter from Peter to the early church, struggling to remain faithful, struggling to remain godly in an ungodly world, I am encouraged. I am encouraged that we have a brother who is not perfect, who did succumb to the pressures of conforming to this world on occasion, but nevertheless, because of the Spirit of God at work within him, he got back up, <coughs> excuse me, he got back up, repented, and was used by God once again. When I read the story of Peter, I am reminded that all of us, including the apostles, all of us are on a journey toward Christ-likeness. We are not there yet. We're not there yet. We're not perfect yet, but we are striving. We are striving to become more like the one who saved us for the glory of God, striving to please him in everything that we do. And even, even our imperfections, even as the, the glory of God within us, the light of the gospel within us shines through our cracked vessels, they can become witnesses, these imperfections, to the glory of God and tools of encouragement for the church. In 2 Peter, we find Peter toward the end of his life. It's likely that he doesn't know how he's going to die. He's going to be martyred around A.D. 65, under the persecution of Nero. But as he is contemplating the end of his life, he wants to be sure that he uses every last breath that God gives him to encourage the church, and specifically his Gentile brothers and sisters, the very ones who previously he was embarrassed to eat with, now he wants to encourage them to remain steadfast in their faith, 
to pursue godliness and an ungodly world for the glory of God. Look at chapter 1 of 2 Peter, verses 12 to 15 with me. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter is stirring up the church here with some of his last words, challenging them to keep pursuing godliness in an ungodly world, to keep pursuing godliness even when it gets difficult. Even when it could cost you something, still pursue godliness because God is worth it. And this is a unique testimony from Peter because Peter knows what it is to waver. Peter knows what it is to to succumb to the pressures of this world. Peter knows what it is to turn back to the vain pursuits that God delivered him from in Christ to forget the gospel. And he wants these brothers and sisters to learn from his mistakes, to not do what he did, to remain steadfast for the glory of God. As he faces death, he reminds the church of the truth of the gospel and the need to cling to that truth in any circumstance. At the end of his life, he's calling the church, these Gentile believers, to cling to the gospel, to know it, to live by it, to defend it, to proclaim it. Because only when we live by the gospel, only when we cling to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, will we truly find the peace and the grace that we have been longing for. The peace and the grace that you are designed to find only in God. You now have access to in Christ And only when you cling to the gospel can you truly be reminded of where the grace and peace that you have been longing for is found. And we'll find them in abundance because God is infinitely those things for us. Peter says to them, don't collapse under the pressures of this world. Don't fall to temptation. You stand firm in what you know. You cling to the gospel in any circumstance. So to stir them up to faithfulness, to stir them up to remain godly in an ungodly world, Peter offers a sermon. He begins his epistle, the second epistle that he has has been included in the New Testament with a sermon. And we find it in the first 11 verses of 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's read together how Peter stirs up the early church to godliness in these first 11 verses. Here's what the word of God says. Simeon Peter, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's how we know that he's writing to the Gentiles, to those who have obtained an equal faith our faith of equal standing. May, 
<coughs> by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you and the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with a love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Powerful words. And this sermon, Peter encourages, encourages these Gentile believers to recognize that they have been called to lives of godliness. As a follower of Christ, you have been called to live a life of godliness, to live for the glory of God, to live a life of excellence. Excellence for the glory of God. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and to his excellence. Interesting. You know, we pursue excellence in a lot of things, don't we? There's so many areas of our life where we pursue excellence. At school, if you're in school, hopefully you're pursuing excellence in school. At work, you want to be the most excellent person you can be at work, whatever it is in your profession. You may go to seminars, you may read books, you may uh, have mentors that help you figure out how to be the best person that you can be in your job and our hobbies right? We want to be excellent in our hobbies. Maybe you play golf. Maybe you go hang out with a, a pro to help you work on your swing because you just want to play golf where it's no fun, right? And, and hit balls into ponds all the time like I do. You actually want to be good at it so you can enjoy it. I remember when I was in school, I played tennis. And for a lot of years, I played a lot of tennis, a lot. Every day, at school, our PE time was our practice time. So we'd go out on the tennis team and we'd play for an hour and a half, two hours every day. Then on two days a week, I would go what we called clinic. And I would go work with the pro at the local country club and we'd work another hour and a half on my tennis game. And there would be days where my tennis pro would come up and he would have a buggy, a shopping cart full of tennis balls. And he would say, I want you to serve 
until you finish hitting every ball in this buggy. That's a lot of balls. A lot of tennis balls fill up a shopping cart from Walmart. And over and over again, I would practice my motion. Over and over again, I'd practice my motion to hit my serve the best possible way. Why? Because I wanted to be an excellent tennis player. I didn't want to get out there and be embarrassed on the court. I actually wanted to be competitive. And occasionally, I wanted to win, right? That's why you do it. It's why you compete. You compete to win. I wanted to be excellent at playing tennis, And isn't it interesting how many things we strive for excellence in, but the one thing that has eternal ramifications in our life, the one thing that has eternal consequences in our life, we rarely pursue excellence in. Godliness. Godliness. We are are called to strive to be like Christ. We are called to strive to be godly in an ungodly world. And that does not happen by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. You're, you don't, you're not prepared to be godly in an ungodly world by accident. Why? Because people around you, the culture around you, the ungodliness around you is saying, don't worry about God. Don't worry about God. You worry about jobs. You worry about your school, you worry about your hobbies, you worry about your comfort, you worry about your money, you worry about your bank account, you worry about your retirement, but don't worry about God. In all likelihood, there is no God. Even if there is a God, he won't care. He wants you to be happy. I saw some years back an atheist group in the UK uh, established or launched a campaign with billboards. And here's what the billboards said. They were on like the double-decker buses and stuff in London. They were on other places. Here's what it said. There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy life. That's what they said. First of all, that would make me worry a whole lot more, (laughs) right? If there was no God, because what's in control, right? What's gaining, what's, what's governing all that's happening around us? But that's what they want you to believe. There's probably no God. And so you can stop worrying and you can enjoy life. And the, the idea being that what God wants for you, what he's calling you to, is not going to lead you to greater enjoyment in life. So just reject the pressure, reject the guilt, go do whatever you want, and you're going to be happy. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It's not true. Go look at every single person who has achieved greatness in this world. Go look at every single person who has followed the wisdom of this world and what it offers, and you tell me if they're happy. You tell me if they're satisfied. They're not. It never, ever, ever works. So you pursue godliness. That's what you were created for. It's what you were saved for. You pursue godliness. Stand firm in the faith, even in an ungodly world. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that? How does does Peter stir them up to remain godly in an ungodly world? There's three points to his sermon. It's a very good Baptist sermon that Peter outlines here, three points. I don't see a poem, but we could add one in if we want to. Point one to this sermon. Remember what you know. How do you remain godly in an ungodly world? Christian, remember what you know. When you feel bad, 
when you feel led to, to buckle and not remain faithful to God, when you feel like the foundation below you is, is sweeping away, when you begin to question whether or not the struggle to remain faithful, the struggle to remain godly is worth it, you remember the gospel. You remember what God has done for you in Christ. You remember the very thing that we celebrated last week at Easter. And especially you as a Gentile. How many Gentiles we got in the room? I'm one. As a Gentile, remember, you were grafted into the promise now because of the work of Christ. You as a Gentile have had grace and peace multiplied to you. It's true of the Jewish people as well. It's for all people now, all people, in light of the gospel. You have had grace and peace multiplied to you. You now have access to the very great promises of God, Peter writes. The promises of God. What are these promises? Promises for salvation and promises for satisfaction. Salvation and satisfaction, those are yours now. You have access to grace Oh, this is good. It is amazing, the grace that God has given to us. Grace is simply getting what we don't deserve. You know what you do deserve? Because of the sin and rejection and rebellion that you have carried out against God, you deserve an eternity separated from God. You deserve an eternity of punishment for rejecting your creator. That's what you deserve. But God has given you what you don't deserve. That is grace. You, you have the ability to know God. You have the ability to love him. You have the ability to experience him. You have the ability to partake of the divine nature. Now, isn't that interesting? Paul writes here. You have access to taste of the Lord and see that he is good. You get to partake, right? There's several seasons in my life where I realize that I'm drinking too much Dr. Pepper and I have to fast for my own good. And so I'll take a month off of Dr. Pepper just to prove to myself that I can do it. And then at the end of that month comes the joy where I get to partake once again of Dr. Pepper, right? And I have to be on guard because it's not good for you the way that God's good for you. But I can't wait. I'm salivating for it because I've tasted it and nothing else comes close. Water, unsweet tea, diet drinks, whatever it is that you're drinking, it doesn't come close to Dr. Pepper. I've tasted it. I know that it's good. Listen, this, this is so much greater than Dr. Pepper, so much greater than your favorite drink. You get to partake because of the grace of God and the divine nature. You get to taste it. You get to, you get to fellowship with God. You get to sit in his presence. You get to feast upon his goodness all because of the grace of God. That's satisfaction that you don't deserve. Satisfaction that you are not worthy of and yet God has graciously given it to you. You don't deserve salvation. You don't, you don't deserve saving. There's nothing in you that makes you worth the price that God paid for you, but it's because of his abundant love and good mercy that he, he gave his son for us. We were unworthy, not worth less, unworthy, and yet God acted upon our behalf to save us. You didn't deserve that. 
That was God's grace to you. And now you can have peace with him. And peace with each other. Those things have been multiplied to you because of the gospel. You got this in Christ. You were far off, not members of the covenant. Now in Christ, you've been brought near. Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. In Christ, now you can know what God has done to reconcile you, not only to himself, but also to each other. And God has graciously given you everything you need everything you need to be at peace with him and peace with each other. That's the heart of the gospel. And you know it's true. You know it's true. You, you've had your eyes open to the reality of this truth, and now you cannot forget it. Sometimes you need to take a breath and remind yourself of the truth of the gospel. Because when we get caught up in the the flow of this world, when we're surrounded by ungodliness all the time, when we begin to feel the consequences of striving for godliness, it can be easy for you to ask the question, is it worth it? Is this true? Do I actually believe this? And you've got to sit back and you've got to say, okay, well, if there's a God, how is it that I relate to him? There's something wrong. Every other religion says that God comes down, or that I have to work my way up to God, but yeah, I don't think I can do that. Christianity says that God came to me, that he sent his son for me. When I couldn't save myself, he saved me. That's a, that's a profound testimony. And now as I read the scripture and I see what God is saying, it seems like everything that I see around the world makes sense in light of the truth of scripture, in light of God's revelation. I don't know any other philosophy. I don't know any other approach to life. I don't know any other theology that makes as much sense as this makes to me because God has revealed it to me. And so I'm going to trust in it. I'm going to believe in it because I know that it is true. You have the gospel. You believe in it. Embrace it because you also know the foolishness of what was. Because of the truth of the gospel, and the satisfaction you found in God, you also know the foolishness of your former life. It was corrupting. It was causing you to, to trust in the wrong things. It was leading you to wells that would never satisfy your thirst. So don't go back there. Don't forget, don't listen to the lie of this world. What you had was better than what you have now. You know better. Remember it, cling to it, trust it. That's the first thing. Peter challenges the early church. Remember what you know. Second thing he challenges them to do is to build on what you know. Remember what you know? Remember the gospel? Now build on what you know. We see this in verses five to eight. Be active and preparing yourself to withstand the attacks of the enemy when they come. You strengthen yourself and the power of the Spirit to walk in godliness so that you can remain godly in an ungodly world. Peter calls these Christians to supplement their faith. Supplement. For this very reason, verse 5. Make every effort to supplement your faith. And I like this word supplement. 
Because I think it helps us understand what it is that we are called to do as followers of Christ. I think about supplement a lot of times when I think about working out. Okay, now I don't know if many of you work out, but clearly I work out all the time. And uh, you can see by my, my big muscles that are busting out of my coat. But why do we work out? Some people work out because of vanity. Some work out because of habit. But hopefully, if you do work out, you're working out primarily and ultimately as a, an act of stewardship because you want to take care of your body. It's the only one you're going to get. You don't get another one until God comes back and you get a glorified body. You get one for this life. And so you want to take care of it. You want to make sure that it's operating at its highest potential. And some people use supplements to help their body reach its full potential. This past week was the NFL draft. And I'm watching these guys that play college, and I'm embarrassed at what they look like compared to what I look like, right? But they work out all the time, and they use legal supplements, hopefully, that are healthy and good to help their body reach its maximum potential to do what it is they're going to do on a football field to make a lot of money. They want to be the fastest they can be. They want to be, they want to have the most agility they can have. They want to have the most strength they can have. And they will use any resource to prepare themselves for the moment when they step on that field. Right? Now think about this in the Christian life, okay? God has given you supplements. He's given you tools and resources. He's given you goals, Christ-likeness to pursue in order to strengthen you to be able to stand firm when times are tough, to remain godly in an ungodly world. And so he says you got to build on what you know. Supplement your faith. Build on it. You need a spiritual workout. Are you preparing to step on the field? Because if you're not, don't be surprised when ungodliness surrounds you and you feel it's very difficult to remain steadfast. Supplement your faith, he says. We supplement in the Spirit using the tools that God has given us to grow in spiritual strength and maturity to withstand the attack of the enemy, knowing that God has given us everything we need, everything we need to walk in godliness to live excellently for his glory. So, verses 5 to 8, to the faith that God has graciously given to you, Peter says, have you supplemented? Have you added virtue? Have you added a commitment to moral goodness and excellence? When you have an opportunity to choose something that is morally good or morally wrong, are you going to pray for the strength and resolve in your heart to choose what is morally good all the time based on what is exposed in Scripture. Because the more that you choose the morally good, the more that you choose what God has said is good, the more that you're going to see that what he said is good is actually good. And it's going to lead to blessing in your life. <coughs> to virtue, have you added more knowledge of God and his work for you in Christ? Have you committed to, to know more of what God has done? Have you committed to know more of who God is and why he is the one and true God? Have you committed to know more of what he has revealed to you in Christ? 
Because knowing more of what he has revealed to you in Christ is only going to strengthen your faith as you see the uncompromising, incomparable love that he has shown for you in Jesus. You think about how we learn other stuff and the discipline it requires to learn other stuff, right? Could you learn mathematics on a whim? Could you just sit and, and just absorb physics? You had to work at it, right? Now, yes, there is a piece of knowledge of God that is a gift from God. But once we've been exposed, once our eyes have been opened, there's a lot of tools that we can mine that we are supposed to be active in and learning more and more about our good God. Are you learning more? Are you learning more of the truth of God so you can counteract the lies of this world? To this knowledge, have you added self-control? Oh, hold up, Jared. Self-control. I thought we were all about indulgence, right? The other day I saw this, this ice cream shop and they had a banner that said, you deserve this. You deserve it, right? But isn't it interesting that we feel like we deserve everything all the time? Self-control. This is a doozy. In a world championing indulgence, not everything that is available is good for you all the time. Not every treat is meant to ha- you're meant to have all the time. Jude, my three-year-old son, thinks he should have ice cream at every meal. Right? And some of you agree. Well, why can't he have that? Why? Because I don't want him to be a diabetic. I want him to die from too much sugar. It's not healthy for him. And there are, of course, things in this life that are neutral that can become bad for you, right? If all you do is sit around and watch Netflix all the time, is that a healthy, productive life? No. Is it okay to watch a movie or a show every now and then? Yes, so long as it doesn't lead you to sin. But you could do that too much, right? Video games, hobbies, anything can become bad if you don't establish self-control to pursue the things of God, to give yourself to things that ultimately matter and make you spiritually healthy. To self-control, have you added steadfastness, faithfulness, a commitment to be sober-minded, steady in a world that is constantly wavering. Every day I wake up and some new philosophy or some new statement is being thrown into the culture. Am I going to be moved by every single thing that comes my way or am I going to remain steadfast to the truth of the gospel? Unwavering from what I know to be true. To steadfastness, godliness, or maybe a better word here is God-wordness. And the idea here is that are you respecting the authorities that God has established in a godly way? Are you listening to the authorities, the spiritual authorities that God has placed in your life? Or do you reject anything that you don't like? I've got news for you. Sometimes it is good for you to do something you don't like. Sometimes it is good for you to not get what you want. Because what you want may be sinful and destructive. I sound like my dad. Okay. To godliness. What about brotherly affection? Are you loving your family of faith? Are you, are you loving the, the world, the people around you because of how God has loved you? Is love a guiding principle of your life? 
Peter says, you can choose to grow in these. You can choose to act on these. You can choose to live in this way, to build on what you know so that you're ready to be faithful in difficult times. In order to remain faithful, when you're standing in front of Nero and he's pouring out the worst persecution imaginable on Christians, lighting them on fire, having them torn apart by animals, in order for you to remain faithful, you got to believe this stuff. Not just, it's not just a hobby. This is life. This is the, the grounding principle of your life. Are you, are you strengthening your commitment to the faith by building on what you know, testing it and seeing that it is true, tasting it and seeing that it is good? Every time you press in more to God, you're going to see that he is more of who he really is, who's he, who he's revealed himself to be. There's no lie in him. There's no failing in Christianity. It's true. It's true you can build your life upon. Are you, are you remaining active and supplementing your faith for that time? Because Peter knows there's times in his life where he didn't do it. And he fell short. And all it brought him was shame. But he got back up. And he committed to do better. He committed to walk more faithfully in the truth of Scripture. And God used him. God redeemed him. Faithfulness does not happen by accident. It's rooted in faithful living. It's rooted in preparedness. So build on what you know. And finally, Peter says, rest in what you know. Remember what you know, build on what you know, and then you rest in what you know. Verses 9 to 11 Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So don't forget, don't forget, remember, remember, build, and then rest. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Never. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As I said, the more you walk in the truth of Christianity, the truth of the gospel, the more you will see that it is true. Your confidence will grow in it as you test it and wrestle with it and supplement your faith. Don't forget rest. Test it, see it's true. Taste it, see it's good. And remember what's awaiting you. Your transcendent hope. Your hope that is greater than anything this world can provide for you. Jesus will not fail you. He is coming for you. And you have a kingdom awaiting for you, an eternal kingdom, where you get to spend eternity with God. And whatever it is that you forsake here, will be nothing compared to what you will get there. It's worth it. Strive. Strive for godliness. Now, how does Peter's sermon to the early church speak to us today? Let me just give you quickly three observations for us today about what we can take from Peter's sermon. Firstly, 
in order to help us be prepared to live godly in an ungodly world. Peter's sermon reminds us of the need to be stirred up, of the need to be stirred up. The longer we walk with the Lord, the easier it is for us to settle the easier it is for us to forget, to get distracted. It's hard to live godly lives in an ungodly world, and we need to be reminded. And so thank the Lord that he has provided us with a whole bunch of stuff that helps us remember, right? This is the beauty of Scripture. You have, and we'll talk about this more next week, you have in your hand, if you have a Bible, if you don't, there's one in front of you in the seat, you can take it. You have in the Bible a constant reminder of the faithfulness of God. If you need to remember God's faithfulness, open the Bible, pick a page. It's there. That's the beauty of Scripture is that we get to be reminded of the power of the gospel and the work that God has done for us in Christ through the Scripture to remember what it is that you know by the power of the Spirit. It's the beauty of godly leadership. I hope you praise the Lord for faithful brothers and sisters, faithful pastors, faithful Sunday school teachers, people that God has appointed and raised up within the church to help remind you. That's what we do every week, guys. That's why this is so important that we gather together. Every week you have an opportunity to be challenged and reminded of the power of the gospel and the truth of Scripture. By just showing at the church, that's a provision of God for you to remember. It's the beauty of godly community, right? To have faithful brothers and sisters who love you, who love the, who love the word, who love Jesus to remind you. So you don't settle, you don't forget, you don't get led astray, but you're committed to walking in godliness, challenging you. That's the beauty of godly community. There's so many more, but all of these things stir us up to faithfulness, to godliness. And God has provided them because he knows we need them. I don't know where, where you are in your life. I don't know what your commitment is to Christ. My guess is all of us in this room are a balance of striving for Christ's likeness and also loving the world. There's something in our, our hearts and our lives that probably echoes both. Whatever it is that you are loving in this world, that you are not wanting to give up to the lordship of Christ, I pray that you would remember the truth of the gospel and you would see the vanity of that. And God would use all of these provisions to stir your heart for greater affection for him. So you forget that. Secondly, Peter's sermon challenges us to be active in our faith. We are not passive, right? If it is true that excellence comes from diligent work. How could we expect to be excellent in godliness without some work, right? Uh, Jared, that doesn't sound very easy. What in life that is worth doing is easy, right? And here's the beauty of it, right? When you, when you do this work, when you're active in in engaging in the scripture, when you're active in, in praying and pursuing the Lord, you will begin to sense joy. And so your work is not labor in the sense that it's worthless, not fun. It'll be joyful. 
Because the more that you work, the more that you engage, the more that you get to experience the Lord. It's a joyful work. We are to be active to prepare to enjoy, active to partake. There's a lot we cannot do on our own, absolutely in Christ. We can't save ourselves. We can't know him apart from his unveiling himself to us. But there is a lot we can do in Christ. There's a lot we can do in the spirit that he has given to us. God has given you everything you need to walk in godliness. Will you do the work of choosing to supplement your faith with these things in the spirit for the glory of God? I just challenge you, look at this list. Is there anything in here that's not in your life? Is there faith? Is there virtue? Commitment to moral excellence in any circumstances, their self-control, knowledge, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. Are those things true in your life? If not, I pray you would commit and begin to pray, God, would you help me choose these things? Would you help me walk in these things for your glory? And finally, Peter's, eye, or Peter's sermon focuses on our eyes on what awaits us and how the joy set before us and the return of Christ and the promise of a new heaven and a new earth drives us to withstand anything this world throws our way. And that is better than anything we could get here that would distract us from living lives of godliness. I cannot think of a better farewell message to the church than Peter delivers here in the first chapter of his second epistle. Live godly. Live godly lives in an ungodly world for the glory of God. Peter in his life had moments when he did not do this. He didn't want them. He doesn't want you to make the same mistakes. Prepare yourself to be faithful even when it's tough. Commit yourself to walking in godliness even when the world around you said it's not worth it, you know better. If God has, has revealed himself to you in Christ, you know better. Don't return to the folly. You remember. And you build on what you know. And you rest in what awaits. Wherever you are, would you bow your head? Spend some time asking the Lord how to help you know how to respond first question I got to ask is, have you ever experienced the grace and peace that is available to you in Christ? In Jesus, grace and peace can be multiplied to you. Have you ever given your life to Christ? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. You can be given access to God. You can, you can have the satisfaction that you've been longing for. You can have the salvation that you need. That's available to you in Christ today. If you don't know him, just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'd love to speak with you more about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. For the rest of us, how are you doing in living godly lives in an ungodly world? It's gonna become more and more important for us 
as Christians to remain godly in a world around us that is constantly questioning the truth of Christianity. How you doing? Maybe you need to remember the gospel this morning because you've been wavering. Maybe you need to commit to build because you haven't strengthened, prepared yourself for what's coming. Maybe you need to set your eyes on the promises that are before us, trusting that it is better than anything, any success, any pleasure we could find here. Father, would you help us? Help us know how to respond. Find us faithful, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. Brother Will.